Hi, and welcome to the final episode of the Mobility Society podcast. My name's Cashel Berdo, Delft Design Researcher and General Mobility Enthusiast. And with me is fellow enthusiast and my producer, Mark Nicole. To close out what's been a fascinating journey exploring the role of mobility in society, we're speaking with Emily Molnar, the Artistic Director of Nederlands Dance Theater, also known as NDT, a world-leading contemporary dance company dedicated to creation, research and talent development. Also joining us is one of the founders of Mobility Society, Matthijs van Dijk, Professor of Mobility Design at our Faculty of Industrial Design Engineering. Together, we discuss how dance can translate complex abstract ideas into tangible movement and proprioception, the sixth sense of the human body. A quick disclaimer before we begin. This episode was recorded online, so audio quality may vary. Nonetheless, we think you'll enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Emily, Matthias, thank you so much for being here today for this virtual conversation. Of course, it would have been wonderful if we could see each other in person, but still very grateful for both of your time today. And I'm sure this is going to be a fantastic half hour of us discussing the nature of mobility and dance and how those two things come together. So thank you both. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So yeah, let's perhaps start with with this term process-oriented that we were discussing before. So having a look through the all the wonderful information about NDT available on your website, your program, all of these diverse things that you're doing, there seems to be this unifying approach of really concentrating on the process of dance, of creating a dance performance. Can you tell me more about that? How does that factor into your work? Yeah, it's it's something um, I've been thinking about, I think a lot of us uh, um, practitioners of any form of creativity, which I suppose could be um, any human being. Uh, is constantly kind of that 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 the, tr- the traveling <laughs> towards something is where the I at least think the richness of the idea is is spoken. And so when we land and in a result, it's fantastic. But it's how did you get there and why did you go towards something? What was the question or the impetus that took you there? So with the company with NDT, the beautiful group of artists that I get to work with on a regular basis. I've really been trying to steer them because we are in the business of, of rigor and excellence and having a craft and uh, that that can sometimes really weigh an artist down. It can weigh um, the, ex- we place expectations on ourselves to develop a result. And if you can take that away, the value system of good or bad and get to just questioning things and having ideas and th- that exploratory act of creativity, then that to me is the process. And so when you stay in there, then I think in the best case scenario, you land up somewhere you didn't even know existed. And that's so it's keeping your keeping the, the path on that road so that it becomes the greatest asset of, of, of the journey and not not where where you're going to land. Because when we get so busy on that, I think um, that's when we start to regret and uh, miss some things along the way. Yeah, wonderful. Oh, wow. Wonderful. I'm just speechless. <laughs> so eloquently put. No, but it's, it's, what's really interesting is that um, when you talk about traveling towards something, um, this is, of course, also what we do as designers in the field of mobility, but then it's more about the making process itself. Um, of course, y- you can also say traveling towards something literally is mobility, hmm. but I think it applies more on our creation process where we try to unravel the complexity of 
society step by step. So we say you have to be careful, maybe not to, and that's what I really like too, that you say kind of a value-free exploration of what you are encountered with. Um, And in this value-free exploration, you get rid of all these preconceptions um, that are in the way, of course, of creating something new, um, something new that matters. Um, So I really love what you say um, as a metaphor for the the design process itself. Um, We put a lot of emphasis in it. Uh, to do it. And the funny thing, and maybe that's a question to you uh, as well, Emily, that sometimes if you if you say the process is pivotal to everything, sometimes people confuse it with, I don't know, with um, uh, cognition or too much mm. like understanding. Mm. So how, how do you avoid this kind of idea of... of um, too much understanding in kind of like being part of a process. Um, I think it's um, it's kind of the behavior of play inside of something. So I, I don't know if I'm 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 touching on what you're what you're referring to, Matthias. But this idea too that it doesn't it that it won't create a result. You know, sometimes you can spend so long in negotiating and questioning something that you kind of circle around yourself and that what happens when you really do have to commit a step further and actually produce something and to not negate that, but to, to keep that playfulness or that openness along the way that you may not, um, it's basically letting, letting go of the control, but allowing your expertise to show up at the same time, <laughs> because you yeah, want yeah. This, this expertise to kind of say, okay, I, I do need to get somewhere. I do need that deadline. I do. Um, this isn't just a, a laboratory that's not going to have an endpoint, but but that that that's not the main focus, and I think then at that moment um, you will arrive at stuff that is if there is such thing as new. Because I, I debate that a lot, and for myself is I think everything's connected to everything. So new is a hard thing to place <laughs> um, or to focus on. But at the same time, I think it's about the questions we ask. That if we reframe those, then maybe we get to something we didn't see before or some composition of of things. But um, I think it's making sure that uh, there's a constant aliveness along the way, that you're always, you're always present and that, that you will have destination, like you're not removing that. But, but you say there's no good and no bad. I uh, really like it, but yeah. there is appropriateness or yeah. not. So, uh, so yeah. <laughs> the word playfulness, you say, shouldn't we add one more word to it? Because maybe otherwise people think it's just like playing. It's play, but play with rigor, with as a rigorous act. It's just keeping an open-mindedness, a freshness to how you see something. But there is, at some point, um, I don't want to say it's a good or a bad, but there is. It, you need to be able to have a barometer of, of, is this going in a direction that we find interesting? Is this working? Is this developing something that seems relevant? That you have to be able to put some kind of critical eye on it as well. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And so what does that process actually look like in terms of Developing a new production, can you maybe take us through a, a recent example of some work you've been involved in, what that looked like, what that felt like for you as well, that playfulness? Yeah, well, it starts about quite a few years in the past where mm-hmm. we start to have a conversation about what happens if we put all of these individuals into a room <laughs> um, and try to make a piece of art. And of course, with dance, which is maybe different than, for instance, a writer or a painter, you require the instrument is the body. So you require a group mm-hmm. of artists 
to actually inhabit the idea physically in, in real time. So the, that paintbrush is actually that, that dancer, that mind. So you need agreement between a choreographer and a dancer to actually realize an idea as well as many different designers. So we will commit to producing an idea which is unknown. And then we basically create an environment where these individuals come together. It often takes many weeks um, because as we are working with the, the human body, uh, every moment that's repeated is not on a computer. It's on a, it's on a body. It's in real time. So there's a lot of rehearsals. There's a lot of minutia of details of saying, okay, what happens if you, you shape it this way? Um, and then we also have just on the side to that, we have choreographers who are working in many, many different ways. So we may have a, I would say this is not so common anymore, a choreographer that will come in and have everything sitting in their head saying, okay, this is, I can see the form already. I, I know what this is going to look like. We have many more choreographers that are coming into a room and saying, what if you think you're falling and you're doing it at a quick speed and then something comes into you and you have to go backwards? What is that going to look like? So then you have to solve an idea. Um, and you have dancers who are generating a lot of material and then choreographers that are puzzling it. So every time we make a, pro a piece, we're building a new language. We're building a new dictionary that then becomes... The, the, the starting point for the choreographer to write kind of the grammar. Uh, and then and then that takes, you know, weeks, and then we throw throw it into some space called a stage <laughs> and decide, you know, where, where it sits in maybe a more multidisciplinary platform of, like, is there text involved in this? Where is the lighting or the costumes? Or how do all these are set? How do these all kind of interact to build the idea out? Some choreographers truly invest in primarily the body as the, as the kind of body of expression and the full um, vehicle. Others do it in relation to, you know, projection or text. So all of a sudden the language is about the spoken word and, and the world of movement coming together. But I will say that everything that we do, which has a very broad, for as many individuals that we work with are as individual as they are, that's how many different ways you can actually um, unpack a contemporary dance work today. It's quite fascinating. Uh, but I would also say that everywhere as a company, we're looking at choreography. So it's not just in a traditional sense of how does a, a, a movement actually translate into a vocabulary on stage. It's in the way that we're actually speaking right now as a type of choreography, in the way that we compose a sentence as a type of choreography, in the way that we... Um, yeah, step out into the world and live our lives as a type of choreography. So we're also looking at that as a question mark as a company is how can we, what is the relationship to the body and what is it, how does it actually, um, yeah, how does it translate in so many other ways than just through a performance? And, and Emily, do you feel that language you're talking about, is it a universal language? So when people perceive it, they just feel it or do you need to teach them that language? How does it work? Well, I, that's a great question, Matthijs. So I often, I think sometimes the best, the most interesting comments come from people who've never seen dance before. And before they see it, they often say to me, I don't understand. I'm not going to understand it. I don't know. I, I won't. And I said, I'll say, please just come and take a look. And, um, there is an enormous amount of visceral like transmission of, you know, the same way that when someone goes to, you know, into a sporting event and you feel the, the rush, you feel as if you're that, that's that, uh, that player. Um, I definitely feel that the expression of the body is, can be transmitted, uh, viscerally through that so that we, as much liberation 
or fluency of the body that that dancer, that performer, or that work is allowing, mm-hmm. we will also be able to inhabit it. And that's like the greater performers, the more we feel we're in their skin. Uh, yeah, having yeah. said that, the language, the, the expression of the body also has the ability to have its own kind of calligraphy or its type, its own type of um, uh, uh, int- intellect. And so that also, I think, with time and with an eye, you start to also appreciate it on that level. But without yeah. knowing anything about it, you can kind of grab into dance and be moved and transform. And tra- um, there is a type of transformation that is, at, at least when I find it the most fascinating work of art, I am transformed somehow. Yeah. Even if it's but just you- to forget about my life for a second and be be, be given another moment. To be transported in a yeah, way. To be tra- yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the choreographer, therefore, plays a completely other role as how we normally would look at a choreographer. So Yeah. But I think it's, um, you know, it's as big as anybody chooses to see life in general. If you want to see life as huge and full of possibilities, what is it, the Walt Whitman quote, which is, I yeah. am, I am um, large and, f- and, 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 mul- and full of multitudes. It's that, you know, it's, um, I think when a choreographer feels that, a universal kind of, um, I don't want to, it's a type of responsibility. I think we, then we can go there, but uh, I think at its best, it is, is it's a necessary universal comment. Yeah. Art in general. No, but because I was thinking, so the most obvious relationship between mobility and dance maybe is choreography. So we were talking Mm. about choreography, Mm. but, but, the way you talk about choreography is not that we, for instance, think beforehand, oh, yeah, this is how we want to to make the society move or how mm. people should should go from the one place to the other and how they cross the street. Um, so, so that's a very that's that's a very bold understanding, I think, of how we could think kind of dance could have a role in our domain. So please help us immediately to distance from that stupid idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there are choreographers that wish for a comment or something to be, uh, for an audience to be taken somewhere. I mean, not that they can control it, but I do think there is, I don't know if I'm misunderstanding you, Matthijs, but I think that sometimes there, yeah. And sometimes people are making a very clear political statement. um, Yeah. Whether, yeah. So sometimes they're taking you to a, a very specific destination. But there's a question that keeps coming up for me in this conversation so far. We're talking a lot about language and communication and also about the visceral nature of dance and also this this transmission Mm. of emotion, it seems like, when you're sharing that space with performers. But I'm wondering in the process of choreographing, if you like, if we want to use that term, a production or just the the evolution of that production over time with all the people who are involved in making it happen. How do you make decisions in terms of what you want to communicate? So for example, like you said previously, if there's a very strong political slant to your work and you want that to be very clear to the people who are receiving that work, or if there's a very strong emotional component that you would like to convey, how do you make decisions as to how best to do that, to embody that information quite literally? And then what are the techniques you might use to do that effectively, to communicate those different levels of information to the audience? That is not a simple answer. There is not a <laughs> It's simple a very answer. large question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, because then you're, you're really talking about, at least from my point of view, I mean, 
uh, it's a huge question of composition mm. and the craft that someone um, owns. I mean, the first thing that it makes me think about is um, the relationship of things. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you just take a body in space and you turn them onto one angle, it says something very different than the other angle. Just that simple. One is a more spiritual angle. One is a more kind of human um, angle. And so you, when you start to then make that more and more complex, how do things relate in space? I, the minute you put a body on a stage, you're already having, it's a narrative. Yeah. So then if you place another narrative inside of that, that narrative, then it starts to go like this. And then if you add a light or a, a costume, and then it just, it starts to layer. And so that's the years of practice of going, what does that mean? And then the people that can come into something like that to pose those questions are, you know, we have dramaturgs, torches. And I mean, the choreographer has to have a, an enormous kind of capacity to understand how to to deal with things in space. Um, and hopefully the more skilled they are than that which they're trying to um, express is written through their mm -hmm. composition. But there are many examples out there where they're very separated, <laughs> where someone has a great idea, but they can't translate it in space. They can't put, and it comes down to timings, because sometimes you've got all of the materials there, but the timing, the dynamics are missing, like specifically in a moving body. You know, I often, when I'm coaching dancers, you know, you wouldn't want someone to talk like this to you, but you'd be surprised how many dancers just on a very simplistic, um, as in a simplistic example, dance with that type of tone, that cadence. And so, that cadence. Mm. And so it's about where does phrasing come from? If, if my body is a fluid engine and I want to write it as if I was going to write a story, I need punctuation. I need to know mm. where the exclamation, and if that's not going to be a, a literal translation as in mime or where we came from in other uh, generations of, 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 of forms of dance, then where does that lie? Where does punctuation and the use of space and the, the cr cr dynamics, and if it's not being found in a relationship to music, which is also a traditional connection between dance and music, it has to come from what's going on inside of the dancer or the dancer's relationship to something else in space. So one of the pieces that we're going to do, well, the piece we'll do for um, the Mobility Society uh, um, event is this wonderful piece that questions a lot of this, just and also just it doesn't always depend on the traditional kind of, um, yeah, relationships to space and time and music. Yeah, because I think when you talk about space, Emily, you talk about context, isn't it? So it's mm. kind of like loaded with with all kinds of uh, conditions, colors, but also opinions. Uh, so if, if yep. so, your last performance, uh, I was there, the three performances, they all relate to a very strong contextual yeah, starting point, you would say. Yeah, I, did, I didn't realize that the title, because often I have to title an evening before I know what all the actual pieces will be, but I had an idea that the three makers in that in that um, evening would be really excavating what is the imagination, and that's why I called it Dreams 360. That you're kind of you're you're going around the the parameters of what is the dreamscape, and they really push that in their own way um, to a different uh, to different degrees. And some made it, yeah, as you said, it, it was yeah, it was a fascinating it was fascinating to see how they dealt with that context. Yeah. But 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 so in design, so I don't know if it works like uh, the same in dance, but so in design, we say things become meaningful in context. And I have the feeling that 
So when you talk when you talked about the position of the human body in space, mm-hmm. it's more like a formal like manifestation, and mm-hmm. then it can be about beauty and maybe sometimes meaning kind of like um, comes out of it. But I have the feeling that you're really playing with meaning, like on stage. Yeah, oh, absolutely, 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 and uh, and I think also where meaning come where the starting point of the meeting comes from is always different. I mean, sometimes you have choreographers that are building environments, very experiential environments. So you're dealing with sensation and almost images. And then you'll have people that are much more uh, literal um, in the way that they create their, the context to something that they're really stepping, like they want you to go from here to here. And you're very, it's very clear. Like for instance, when Crystal Pite was dealing with the topic of um, extinction, you know, she really put that out there. There was like something that landed in space. Okay, we're dealing with extinction. Then how do these images relate to that? Whereas in, in some other people's work, it's um, like Gabby's, uh, the first piece, you were thrown into a, a completely unknown world where you were, <laughs> yeah. you were, you were puzzling through this, these sensations and these images. And then you're left to kind of solve the rest. So, yeah. It is, it is a, a lot of discussion about meaning and where does the, where is the meaning coming from and where, who is it left to to answer out? Because I think the, what we tend to forget is, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, even if a choreographer or a dancer for that matter is, is hoping to move someone in this direction, you can never control that. And at best, you're letting an audience member solve it themselves. And so there's, there'll always be perhaps a completely different perspective on something, even if your intention was something different. And I think that's that's what art should be able to do. And that, yeah, exactly that narrative you were talking about. So you 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 want people to feed it or to understand it or both or and not necessarily. So the understanding, I think it's into personally for me, just because I've dealt with so many audiences in my my career so far, is it's to leave the freedom for them to not feel like they have to understand it in a certain way. And because also we learn from it on the other side is when there's many different perspectives on something and to be open to that. But I think it's this idea that you can dialogue, that you're in a moment together. Beautiful. Because even with a piece, I will sit in a number of performances of one piece. And it is amazing that where those individuals are coming from that evening or that day. So whether they just came out of the parking lot or had a fight with their partner or whatever, that you can feel their energy and that energy shifts the actual piece in, a, in sometimes a completely different way. And so a piece can look very different depending on who's actually listening to it. And, and is this kind, kind of going to our mobility society thing? Is this dialogue, the mobility of dialogues hmm. between a, an audience or an observer um, and a performer? Is this, is, is this what, what you will bring in? Or how, how do you see it yourself, your role in this whole endeavor to understand that relationship between the two? As far as mobility is concerned. Yeah, and society. So this relationship between mobility and society. where For me, it's about connection. It's, it's about, um, it's, well, it's, it's also, the, 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 for me, I immediately go to the body, but just and also our, 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 need, our necessity to stay committed to, to the body and to the sensory and to the, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it is, but it's about connecting. It's about, dia- it's about connecting ideas. It's about connecting self. It's about um, relationship to things. So it's, um, yeah, I would say it is. A, it, all of those answer themselves out by, you could put dialogue on all of those. Dialogue with self, 
dialogue with self and space, dialogue with society, um, responsibility too. Um, yeah. But they all have different pathways. So to me, it's all movement as well. It sounds very reciprocal the way that you're describing it, this idea of dialogue, because I imagine as someone who's not very familiar with the inner workings of the dance world, the just the term audience, you know, audience and performer, that suggests a very clear demarcation between the two, even spatially the way that sometimes performance spaces are organized. Mm. There is this delineation between yep. who is watching and who is watched, yeah. whereas your approach sounds a lot more yeah, reciprocal and balanced in a way. I'm wondering what? how that works in, or how it has worked in the past couple of years where obviously being collectively together in spaces has been a real challenge. I was a looking at some news items on the NDT website, again, stalking the NDT website for information. Um, and there was a wonderful article about the way that NDT has approached live streaming mm. your performances. So I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about that. How do you, how do you capture this collective spirit, this real exchange of energy through digital means? What does that look like? Yeah. So I'm just going to go a little bit back on the idea that I think sure. to take away the watching, I try to mm -hmm. also take this from, um, from performers that they're not being watched because it, yeah. it can then become kind of a crisis of identity each time you go out there of like needing a sense of approval. And it's more that you are actually the listening ear. It's, 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 if you don't have those two, those listening and those kind of having, starting the conversation, if that's not there, then that's, that to me is what a live performance is. But the minute one is just viewing it becomes a passive event for the, for one party. And I think it's really important that there, I think that's when it's at its, at its um, most powerful as far mm -hmm. as a, a performance, an active performance. Uh, but so we had COVID, we are in mm -hmm. COVID. <laughs> um, one of the questions I had, because I also have this wonderful banner called the COVID director, I started directing NDT during COVID. And I just asked the company, what could we do now that we couldn't normally do? Not so mm -hmm. easily or if at all, because we're also a company that is so busy uh, touring the world, also touring the Netherlands and making the work. But with this extra time, what do we do? And so the live, live streaming was one of the things we started to kind of unpack, which is what would be its, how could we stay connected to our audiences um, when we can't actually, we could go into a theater, so not every other uh, company in, the, in other countries could actually do that. But we could actually, in the Netherlands, bring our dancers onto a stage, but we couldn't bring the audience. So we thought, what, is this, what does this open up? And so we started to just find a different point of view on the works, because of course, when you're taking away that live experience, um, you have a different angle on the piece when you have a camera on it. So we started to kind of see how that could also choreographically, compositionally move us in a different direction. But mm. what we found is that if we also played them in the moment that the dancers were performing, it also felt like it was a live performance. So we weren't always trying to capture and then re-release. We were actually still keeping true to what it means to do performance. So if something happens in that moment and something falls on the stage, we're not going to try to fix it. So that was important just to keep that energy. But what we found is that in our way of adapting the camera, we could actually create um, an intimate environment because I think that's what's important. And we were able to, to reach 75 countries in two hours. We could never tour to 75 countries in two hours. That's incredible. Yeah, and it's we had people in Afghanistan watching. I have no wow. idea how that happened or how they heard about it, but it became a new type of touring. So then it started to kind of unpack for us what does touring look like for a company that is funded to tour a lot around the world 
in this moment where there's lots of discussion, obviously, about the environment and um, also just funding models. So what, what does this mean? But what we were given at the same time was this privilege to also see the works in a different way, really up close. Um, and in that way, we, we did things like put a camera on a dancer's, in dancer's hands and have them become another performer inside of the performance. And I think there's a whole genre of, uh, that's, that's undeveloped there as far as what you can, how you can take a work and have different installa- um, iterations of it see it in many different ways. And the digital platform would be one, one component, but not with the idea of erasing what it means to come together in a live performance as a community, in real time. Extending in the, the yeah. lexicon, I suppose, yeah. in a way. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. Yeah. It, it mirrors some conversations I think we've had on previous podcast episodes about if, if we view mobility and its role in society, the intersection between the two as a kind of system, then the pandemic has been an opportunity to sort of hit the pause button on that system and reconsider what we want that to look like in the future. Yep. It sounds like there's a similar kind of thing going on with what you've just described, this oh. moment of pausing and reflecting, but also of viewing what might be otherwise seen as adverse circumstances as an opportunity to extend absolutely. our knowledge and our understanding of our discipline. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a really think- wonderful approach. Yeah, well, it's it's also it's really made us question what is time and how do we use it. Yeah, that's been absolutely. one of the, and what is our, our relationship to time, and where do we place the value and how 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 are we valuing it or not? Yeah, and with that concept of time in mind, I wondered if you could tell us more about the evolving role of dance and of performance in society in general, um, historically to my very uh, novice understanding, dance and public performance used to be quite an integral part of public life and of society. And it feels like that role has shifted, especially in the last couple of decades. But as I also understand it, NDT is doing quite a lot of work to question that and to reassert dance in a certain way. Can you tell us more about that? Well, I think um, we're a company alongside many other companies and also artists in the dance field that are really trying to um, erase the boundaries. So that can mean uh, welcoming people into a theater that may not actually know what a theater looks like from the inside and making them feel comfortable and and allowing them to have a moment as a community um, and to discover the language of the body. Because I think there's one component of dance that's extremely important right now, which is our relationship to our physical body in a world of technology. And so we help unpack that to a degree, that conversation. So when we bring someone into a theater, we're discussing that in many different ways. But when we go outside of the theater and we go into communities and we're doing workshops with, um, you know, refugee families or uh, with um, young children that are coming and we're, we're mixing different mediums and basically saying, what is creativity and how can you take these tools that we're going to teach you of the body and your, cre- and, and your translation into um, to that act of creativity, how will you take that into your life to basically start them as young creatives um, and also teaching them how to compose? Because that's a big thing we do is we mimic the creative process and get young people throughout, you know, and teenagers as well to actually take an idea through to translation. Um, all of this to us is helping people understand because we, in my opinion, are all first and foremost, we move. So whether we do it as a profession or not, we can all relate to being dancers or movers in our own way. So it's making all of those connections and then of course showing them what it can do if you decide to eventually make it a craft and and carry it through. Then you get into the 
really juicy area of just what it becomes compositionally as an act of choreography. It sounds like perhaps this is an innate uh, sensibility that we all have as human beings and it's a matter of being able to tune into that frequency almost and to, as you say, to build a craft out of it, to hone that skill. Would you say that's an accurate way to describe it? Absolutely. I mean, also, I think what's important is, I mean, we don't, we have many, many examples of multiple intelligences and, and, and knowing that a child can actually memorize things when they're in motion, especially when we have so many kids with, or individuals with anxiety right now issues is how do you actually liberate the body in order to get to other levels of thinking or ideas? And so there is an enormous relationship to, to, uh, the physical body, um, that unpacks a lot of, um, other pathways. Mm. Pleasure, Emily. So how's ple- is, is pleasure part of it? So experiencing this, this bodily awareness, um, these movements, how does it work for you? Well, I think, I mean, every emotion has a, has a gesture in space in a way. So it can be pleasure. It can also be pain. But I think the idea yeah. is fully in, inhabiting it. It's letting mm-hmm. ourselves feel and when we feel something it will physicalize itself so yes there is a certain pleasure in the sense of when we liberate our bodies um and i think that by default in a way liberates our minds um then 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 we are a a fully um i think we're we're able to tap into more of our full potential as individuals yeah yeah so i learned from one of my colleagues paul heckert so he said aesthetics is nothing more than a pleasure principle so we (laughs) discover patterns in chaos. Um, And it feels a little bit that you follow that same path. And it's not pleasure as in happiness, but it can, it's arousal. So you you are aroused and it can have negative or positive like emotions as an effect. Yeah. I think it's that that, uh, that, um, awakeness or that aliveness and it can come in different forms. It's not necessarily a negative or a positive, but it's, it's when you're, yeah when things are fully turned on, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that, can, and, and, um, yeah, we know that the spectrum of, you know, crying and laughing are the same. They're just at the either end. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that fully inhabiting your body, I also think can be quite challenging for a, a oh. vast amount of people. Yeah. I think it, in my own experience, at least, I don't think it's something that I have been particularly keyed into particularly aware of in my life especially in the modes of interaction we have with the world around us yeah as you said in an age of proliferating technology and digitization how can we begin to to access that part of ourselves well first if someone um shows an interest that's always the beginning point but i have a close uh, a friend who's worked um quite uh, in-depth in conflict resolution. And one of the exercises is to literally just physically let your body weight fall back into someone else's hands and you can't see them. We do that. That's our workplace on a regular basis is I throw myself into space and I trust that someone's going to be on the other side. Um, But when you do that, what goes on in an individual is I've seen people make a huge shift in just that one moment that could take years of talking about something like that to happen. But it happens in one moment yeah. when the physical body actually goes there. And of course, it, you, you have to, I'm really generalizing. People have to be at different places and different sense of openness to be able to, mm-hmm. uh, levels of openness to be able to do this. But I think to imagine that our bodies are not key to um, helping us uh, explore and, and question life and to fully um, 
yeah, arrive at a certain amount of understanding, I think would be is a is a huge um, a huge loss. I think mm-hmm. it's it's one of our primary. Yeah, we're moving before we're doing. Yeah, yeah. utterly things. fundamental. Yeah. It sounds like it also connects to this concept of uh, proprioception, Matisse, that you mentioned before. Yeah. I wonder if, if you wanted to speak a little bit more about that, what that means. Yeah, so I, I, I have to be honest. So I don't know a lot about it, but I think it's crucial to to when we when we talk about mobility that we are, that we know the underlying phenomena uh, and proprioception is so important uh, because when we are in movement we we experience movement through proprioception mm. um, and um, and I think therefore proprioception is maybe the thing you want to design so we I think when designing stuff we shouldn't design a car but we should design the the bodily experience we foresee meaningful, hmm. uh, which is a completely other starting point. Um, um, so there's so many things that I think we should we should exactly open up exactly what Emily is saying. So we're um, I'm not saying that we're doing wrong, but we can do better, and that's so much more interesting. I have to think about one of our students at industrial design engineering who graduated. Um, in exploring the meaning of dance in relation to design, Siska Kloster. And she came up with a kind of like choreography of design approach uh, where you had to use your whole body as a means to start designing. So you you were not sitting with your pencil behind a piece of paper, but you have to start moving around. First 15 minutes, of course, hell. Uh, But after, I think it's, it was just fantastic. We opened up and there were so much layers, so many. Yeah, I think to continue on from what Matthijs was saying, there's a very interesting relationship between the process of designing, especially for mobility, and the process of composing a performance in the way that you describe it. I think what Matthijs was touching on about again, extending our understanding of of the process to not just the the physical form that we can perceive visually but what that feels like in a very visceral sense. Um, and that's something that I think perhaps we don't look at so much in in design or commonly. And perhaps there's a lot we can learn from the process that you describe of composing a dance performance. I, I yeah. wonder if there's any, any advice that you can give us as designers <laughs> on how on earth to start tackling this other realm of experience that sounds like it's really quite difficult to, to tune into. Well, it's it's because it's it's making me think and it, um, go into different directions. But my my first thought is just to inha- inhabit the space in which something will exist and to get a, a full. Mm-hmm. When I'm thinking about proprioception too, we use it so much in dance that you have to be everywhere all, all the time um, and have that kind of ins- that instinct to 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 see something, sense something without seeing it. Um, but this idea for I think for designers is just you know to think about how many different experiences such a thing would be um, in use for and who that person like it's just to go into many different levels I guess I'm just kind of thinking out loud here but to be able mm-hmm. to say okay uh, who is that person where is that space um, uh, what will it what is its purpose and then just to imagine how many different variables of that could there could be um, it's inhabiting getting to a deeper and um, it's also I think about belonging and also mm. about um, 
what is it belonging to? So then it be, then has some kind of connection to where is its meaning coming from? I think a lot of it is about, yeah, as we talked about earlier in the beginning of the conversation is where is creating meaning and what is, how do we do that with, yeah. with anything? I mean, always goes back to what is the, the why. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, and the why can be many different things. Um, but if the purpose is for relevancy and meaning, then, then all kinds of things come up. Beautifully put. I couldn't have couldn't have said it better possibly myself. Wonderful. Well, perhaps on, on that note, we can begin to close out what has been a truly beautiful conversation. Thank you both so much. It's been truly enlightening, really has extended my sense of what mobility and movement can mean. And I'm really going to be reflecting on that, the, the importance of tuning into your body and the, the feelings that you have within this vehicle that you move through life with. Mm as opposed to focusing so much on external media, which to me at least seems to be our primary mode of perception in many, many spheres of life. Yeah. It feels like there's something much more primal that we can tap into that might actually be the key to solving some very complex problems, such as those that we look at in mobility society. Yeah. Well, it's been a wonderful conversation. And as you said, if everything that comes from the outside goes in and let it go in just a little bit deeper and really, yeah, yeah then there's all kinds of yeah interesting stuff that happens. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you.